So in this Advent season, we relive liturgically the coming of Christ. We anticipate his second coming, but we also, as we know, are preparing for Christmas, the first coming of Christ. And so we, in a way, um, inhabit the spirit of the people of the Old Testament, who, Isaiah says, sat in darkness, but have seen a great light. That there's all of these eons of waiting for the advent of the Christ. Um, And we, who are born after it, um, maybe don't appreciate what that was like to wait on the Lord, to sit in exile and then be rescued by the coming of the Christ. Um, But in another sense, we don't have to pretend that we're Old Testament people waiting for the coming of Christ, because in every generation, even though he came 2,000 years ago, in every generation, it's still news. It still has to be announced. And even though Jesus has accomplished everything needed for the salvation of the entire world, he's still working it out in me and in you. He's still working out our salvation. He's still ransoming captives, forgiving sins, healing the brokenhearted. I was meditating on this reality this week during daytime prayer. All priests and religious have to pray the five hours, the liturgy of the hours. And every uh, day during Advent, for mid-afternoon prayer, the antiphon is the same. And it's a dialogue from the Annunciation between Mary and the angel Gabriel. And it says, Then Mary said, My soul is deeply troubled. What can this greeting mean? Am I to give birth to my king and yet remain a virgin forever? And that's not exactly what she says in Luke. I don't know where this comes from in the tradition, but it's sort of an elaboration of Mary's interior dialogue um, with the angel. What can this greeting mean? Am I to give birth to my king and yet remain a virgin forever? Am I to give birth to my king? And I just so happen in my, where I have that antiphon in my breviary, I have this little holy card of Mary and Jesus, where Mary is, uh, it's after the resurrection and Jesus is holding that flag you sometimes see in resurrection images. Um, And Mary is just embracing him with her eyes closed, with her head on his heart. Um, And I was just struck by the intimacy and the union and the trust. The the little phrase on the card says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. How close Mary is to Jesus. And in Advent, we meditate, of course, on this this preparation, her, her awaiting, giving birth to her king. Mighty give birth to my king. That the waiting... His presence for her is interior. He is her king. After the resurrection, she worships him. But his his presence to her is interior. Even before she conceives, it's it's the word of the angel. This message from God. That the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. You'll become the mother of the Most High. Um, That presence of God within her That's not just for Mary now because of the sacraments. It's for you and me. The way our king is present to us is from within. St. Augustine said this in his famous famous thing from the Confessions. Late have I loved you, O beauty ever ancient, ever new. If you've ever read that, just a line before it. In Latin, it says, interior intimo meo, superior sumo meo, which just means you are more interior than I am to my most intimate self. You are, more, you are more interior than my most intimate self, than I am to, to myself. But you're higher 
than the highest possible thing. Yes, he's the king who's coming to save us, and yet the way he's present to us and the way that he comes to us is as more interior than I am to myself. So what does it mean, this God who comes to us in such an interior and invisible way, that he would come to save us? You know, we're making straight the paths in the wilderness and filling in the valleys and making the mountains low so that the Lord can come to us. But the way he comes to us, the way he saves us, is interior. It's a mystery. If you've ever read Flannery O'Connor, she's a, a famous author of the 20th century, a Catholic author of short stories. And her stories are very graphic and often violent, and there's cruelty and ugliness. It's a lot about the, the Old South and a lot of racism and bigotry and cruelty. Um, and yet in every single one of her stories, the character, the main character, always has some offer of grace, some offer of mercy, where they can be transformed if they want. If something happens with the circumstances or an interaction with a, with a character, that they have a chance at salvation, at being saved from their ugliness and their sin. And sometimes they say yes, but oftentimes they say no, and the story ends tragically. And I don't know if Flannery O'Connor meant them to be cautionary tales, but the reality of the interior drama, the battle, what's really real and what's really high stakes, is present. We kind of have a God's eye view to what's going on in this person's heart. But the same thing happens in the Gospels. Do you remember when the rich young man comes up to Jesus and says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, obey the commandments. Honor your father and mother. Don't lie. Don't steal. All these I've done since my youth, Lord. What else do I have to do? If you would be perfect, go sell what you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. He has this chance of becoming Jesus' intimate friend, his disciple, his follower. And he goes away sad, for he has many possessions. Those interior attachments that fear of letting go, of really trusting in God, makes him go away sad. That, that battle is lost. Or in more subtle ways, what about the, the ten lepers that Jesus cleanses and they go off to show themselves to the priest and then one comes back, a Samaritan, to give thanks? And Jesus says, what happened to the other nine? Did only this foreigner come back to give thanks to God? Go, your faith has saved you. Those other nine, they had a chance. They were given a great grace by God. And they just were like, yeah, that was cool. <laughs> that was it for their whole life. This, interior, this encounter with Jesus results in not much. Or how about every scribe and Pharisee, basically, in the whole gospel, except Nicodemus, who's there at the crucifixion, who helps Joseph of Arimathea give Jesus a worthy burial. All the rest, all they can see Jesus as is a threat to their power, to their authority, to their control. So the salvation is worked out with fear and trembling in, in the interior, invisible heart. And one, one implication of this is that if that's the case, if the battle is invisible, then the grace we need is interior. The grace to respond, the rich young man or, the, or Nicodemus or, or any of Flannery O'Connor's fictional characters, what, what's needed to respond to grace is grace. That's where we're like the, the paralyzed guy by the pool of Bethesda. We need to get in the water because we're paralyzed, but we can't get in the water because we're paralyzed. 
We need someone strong from the outside to come to the inside and give us the grace to respond to him, to follow him, to say yes to him, no matter what it is. I even need grace to know that I need grace. The fact that I am in need of salvation in my innermost being, I'm blind to unless I'm illuminated by God and his grace and his love. But what we really recognize in Advent is that it's not our job to save ourselves, that we are the people sitting in darkness who have seen a great light. It's God's job to save us, and he's faithful to his promises. Since Genesis, since the first sin, he's promised that we'll have a Savior, that she'll strike at your head while you strike at his heel. We have the little serpent under Mary's foot there. He's come to save us, to squash that rebellion, to restore and repair his broken and hurting creation. It's not our job to save ourselves. But if I'm waiting for him to come someday in some visible and obvious way, some way to just like snatch me out of my sin and bring me back home, he's already here. Am I to give birth to my king and remain a virgin forever? He's intimately present to me, more intimately present than I am to myself. And that he's come to give us this strength, he's come to give us this light to respond to his grace and to bring us home.